Good morning. I'm glad that you're able to listen in or to watch the sermon today. You know, everyone loves a grand entrance. Remember as a boy in Aurelia, there was an annual winter parade, and I'd be sitting on the curbside waiting, and there would be marching bands and big floats turning the corner and coming onto the road where we were sitting. But there was always the big moment when the best float, the greatest float would round the corner and it would come by. You guessed it, it was the one carrying Santa Claus. He'd wave to us, he'd uh, give us a Merry Christmas greeting, and it was so exciting. Our hearts were full of joy. I, I sometimes wonder if I'm going to have the same joy when uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs celebrate their Stanley Cup parade. Uh, I want to be there uh, on the curbside. I, I likely won't be sitting on the curbside. By the time the Maple Leafs win, I'll likely be sitting on my walker or on a wheelchair, but I can still dream big dreams. How about the grand entrance at a wedding? You know how it goes. The music transitions, the uh, pastor gives the signal, and the mother of the bride and the parents of the groom, they raise to their feet, and uh, we take that signal as we kind of spring to our feet, and there she comes. Here comes the bride. And we take out our cell phone cameras, and, and isn't it wonderful? She, she looks so beautiful, and the dress is so elegant. And, and there's her dad just uh, beaming as he's wearing his fresh-pressed tuxedo. Uh, weddings, there's convocations. Do you know how y you feel your heart bursting with pride when you think of your son or daughter and all they worked at and accomplished in earning their degree, all the blood, sweat, and tears. And uh, there they come in, marching in with uh, scores of other students. And as they come in wearing their gowns that are flowing and their silly-looking caps, um, nothing is silly about that day. We're full of joy, especially during the moments of that grand entrance. And, and, and then there's... Uh, coronation of a king or a queen. You know how it goes. They come in, the red carpet is laid down or uh, something similar to that. They've got uh, all the important people in the country. Foreign dignitaries are there. Maybe the soldiers are on call and they're, they're uh, marching in. And, and, and the king uh, or queen-to-be may be riding on a white stallion, or maybe they're in a carriage being pulled by uh, powerful horses, or maybe it's a stretch limousine, one of those really expensive cars carrying them in. Oh, oh, I forgot an option. How about a king-to-be riding in on a donkey? Yeah, you heard me right. A king riding on a donkey. 
the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, riding on a lowly donkey. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, John, you guys must be taping on April Fool's Day. You can't be serious. A king riding on a donkey. But that's the focus of our message today. Now, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against donkeys. Uh, Donkeys aren't the most highly regarded animal. They have a bit of a bad reputation. They're known as a beast of burden. But, but donkeys, I mean, I remember as a boy, I liked to play the game, pin the tail on the, the donkey. Uh, one of my favorite animated movie characters is Donkey, appropriately, a donkey named Donkey. And Eddie Murphy, who does the voiceover, is very funny, and I like that character in the Shrek movies. Um, Eeyore is actually a name for a donkey, and many of you know Eeyore as the lazy but lovable donkey friend of Winnie the Pooh. Um, Some of us who can go way back remember the program Hee Haw, and that country show, the mascot of the show Hee Haw, was of course a a donkey. But, But think of it, a donkey as a mascot. I am not aware of any professional sports team that has a donkey as a mascot. Uh, There are penguins, and there are bears, and there's lions, and there's panthers, and there's tiger cats. There's even ducks, if you can imagine that. But I've never heard of a professional team known as the donkeys. Donkeys. They, they are working animals around the world. They're used in many places for transportation. In fact, the country that has the most donkeys, and you might want to pause your viewing right now so you can think about it, kind of act like this is a Jeopardy question, but the country with the most donkeys is Ethiopia, of all places. But there are donkeys here in Canada. In fact, my brother Brent, who with his family live in the metropolis of Pontypool, just south of Peterborough, they have a barn. And on that barn, they have some animals, some chickens, and they've got some cows and some goats, and they have a couple of donkeys. And I asked Brent and his family if they could tell me a little bit about donkeys, what stands out. And they said, they're a very stubborn animal. They can be unpredictable. They are good as protectors. Except my sister-in-law, Allison, shared with me one morning, uh, their Jenny, that's a female donkey. You can tell I've learned a lot about donkeys. The Jenny was out kind of shooting the breeze out in the field with a coyote first thing in the morning. So not much of a protector of the other animals. Needless to say, they sold that donkey later in the week. Donkeys. Well, today, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, we traditionally consider the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem at the start of Holy Week. 
Uh, it's a time where we wave palm branches. So maybe you can go outside and grab a couple of branches from a tree and bring them in and wave them as you listen or view this sermon. We love to sing Hosanna, one of my favorite songs. And there's a lot of Christian songs that uh, talk about Hosanna. But after this sermon, at the end of it, you might want uh, a stirring rendition of uh, Yankee Doodle went to town only with different words. Rather than Yankee Doodle went to town uh, riding on a pony, it'll be Jesus Christ went to town, went to town. Jesus Christ went to town riding on a donkey. But there are donkey lessons that emerge from Palm Sunday. Uh, They are lessons that teach us about important things like service, stewardship, what it really means to follow Jesus, and, and, and answers questions like, who is Jesus? And I would propose that if we overlook these donkey details, we miss out on crucial insights, a needed perspective for these difficult times, and indeed all times. Did you get that? I want to suggest that if we overlook these donkey details, we may miss out on some very significant and crucial insights that provide a needed perspective for these difficult times, in fact, at all times. So if you've got a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew 21, and we'll read the first 11 verses of Matthew 21. Jesus' triumphal entry is recorded in all four Gospels. In John's Gospel, he doesn't give a lot of detail about the donkeys. However, Matthew, Mark, and Luke choose to focus on this part of the story, although preachers often gloss over it. But listen carefully as we read this passage. As they, Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very loud crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! Now when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. The Lord will bless the reading of his word. I'm going to divide this text into four sections. We're going to consider 
the two disciples find a donkey? This looks at the role of what I label menial service. In the second section, we're going to look at the guy with the donkey. Jesus saying, I need your donkey. Or as we'll see in a few moments, Jesus really meaning, I need to borrow my donkey. We're going to look at the role of stewardship. We're going to, in the third section, spend a bit of time on the fickle followers. The crowd that had to grapple with a king on a donkey. And I'm going to suggest they ended up disappointed with Jesus. And finally, we're going to park on the one riding the donkey. Jesus riding on a donkey. Who is this? And what does it mean to celebrate Jesus this Palm Sunday? Was it a tragic entry on a donkey? Or was it a triumphal entry on a donkey? So let's look at the first section, the two disciples and the role of menial service. Many have figured these two disciples must have been Peter and John. They were always getting assignments, but I would argue that it was likely James and John, two disciples that surface in Matthew chapter 20. And uh, the reason I say that is because of what transpires in Matthew 20. Jesus had told the parable we looked at last week, the parable of the vineyard, how the first will be last and the last first. And uh, having tried to get that point across, there's an occasion where James and John come to Jesus with their mom. Now, this is a bit embarrassing. I guess you could call them mama boys. But their poor mom flops to the feet of Jesus, and she's begging and pleading with Jesus. I imagine she says, oh, Jesus, Peter and John have always had the plum assignments, but my son John, my son James, they deserve a chance. I'd like them to be seated at your right uh, and on your left in the new inauguration of a kingdom. When when you march in for your coronation, could, could they be on your right and left, positions of prestige. Well, if you'll recall, Jesus then turns to James and John and and asks them, uh, do you have any idea what you're after? Uh, Are you able to take the cup of suffering? They said yes, but Jesus says, you have no clue what you're agreeing to. And uh, Jesus then goes on to explain things. Now, we're told the other disciples were indignant with James and John, not because their request was so inappropriate, but because these guys had beaten them to the punch, they would like those positions of prestige as well. But Jesus said, in uh, the world out there, the Gentile leaders lorded over others, but this is not the way of my kingdom. In my kingdom, if you want to be great, you must choose to be a servant. In my kingdom, it's not about Being served, it's about serving. And Jesus said, even the Son of Man, the way he referred to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. 
And I believe that having taught this lesson, Jesus is fleshing it out here in Matthew 21. He asked James and John to go and do what could be considered a rather menial task. Their assignment was not to get new clothing, as if Jesus had reconsidered and said, oh, maybe you can come marching in on my my right and left, but you need to dress up. It wasn't that they were going to look after security details for the big parade. They weren't even to negotiate or to barter with a donkey owner. They were to go up, look for these two donkeys, a mum donkey with her colt, and they were to untie them, kind of like common thieves, and take them away. And if there was any problem or disagreement, they were to tell the owner and others that the Lord needs them. I don't know about you, but... This is an unusual, if rather menial, assignment. Now, to their credit, the two disciples were told did just as Jesus instructed them. But let's think for a little bit about menial assignments, menial service, performing menial tasks. Actually, the dictionary defines menial as uh, skill or, or, or jobs not requiring much skill and lacking prestige. And I think that's the kind of assignment Jesus gave these two disciples. Remember when I was in seminary, I had just won a major preaching award. That weekend, different people from the church called me and offered congratulations and I got a call then from one of the church leaders, and he acknowledged the award I had received, and then he paused and said, John, I'd like to ask you, I wonder if you could, and my mind started to race. I thought, he's going to ask me if I would agree to be officially recognized at church on Sunday morning. Maybe they would roll out the red carpet, a couple of elders would escort me up the aisle, and I would be officially recognized for that award. Or or maybe he would say, "Uh, John, we're going to uh, cancel out some other preachers. We'd like you to preach for the next six or eight weeks in a row. Or maybe, John, uh, you've obviously perfected the art and craft of preaching. Maybe you could teach a seminar or a course here at church on preaching. Before my mind could carry me too far away with these fantasies, this leader continued, John, I'd like to ask you, I wonder if you could be one of our parking lot attendants. I thought, what? I've just received this prestigious award And you're asking me to be a parking lot attendant. It basically consisted of helping people park their cars because we were experiencing some overflow. It also involved escorting some of our older people out of their cars into the church building. It was not a prestigious job. Now, I'd love to be able to tell you, and I agreed, and it was so rewarding, And it was so fulfilling. What I remember most was how cold it was that winter. Every day that I did that, every Sunday, it was cold. 
And, and I do remember friends walking by me and smirking and saying, John, how did you ever get suckered into this ministry? Uh, but I guess to my credit, I agreed to do it. And I must admit, I learned a lot of lessons about humility and about menial service. There are a lot of menial tasks. When I think back to that big parade in Aurelia with those horses that would come in, the marching bands, there was always uh, a pooper scooper. Not the most glamorous job, but a necessary job that has to be done at a parade. Or think about a wedding where there's the one or two people who are assigned to take down the decorations and pack them away. Again, it doesn't get a lot of recognition or a lot of notice, but tasks that need to be done. In these days of the COVID-19 virus, uh, there are those on the front line, and we applaud them, what they're doing, and, and, and they deserve our praise and our admiration. But a lot of us need to be willing to perform menial tasks even in these days. We've every Sunday talked about sending cards or making a call, phone call or a text or helping a neighbor with groceries. There's lots and lots of menial tasks that you can do in these days. And it, it's just not about church. It starts at home. Uh, most of us are spending more time at home these days than normal. What are the menial tasks around your home that need to get done? Make a list. That would be a bit of homework for you later today. And you might include uh, putting the garbage out, uh, washing the dishes and putting them away, doing diapers. You, you could come up with quite a list. And my question is, what is Jesus asking you to do? What is Jesus prompting to you to do that might not be prestigious, may not, might not require a lot of skills, but it's something to be done? And remember what Jesus said. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you must choose to be a servant. You must even be willing to be a slave to others. Let's move on. The guy... With the donkey, I've labeled this Lessons in Stewardship. Uh, Max Lucado, he likes to go by Max Lucado, but in his book about Holy Week, he has a chapter entitled, The Guy with the Donkey. I like what he says. He says, some people, when they get to heaven, want to spend time with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and pepper her with questions. I'm in that category. Some people want to spend time with the Apostle Paul or, or the Apostle Peter and uh, a lot of theological questions and uh, concerns. Uh, but Lucado says, I'd like to spend time with the guy with the donkey and ask him a lot of questions. How did it feel when the disciples came and were untying uh, the, the, the mother donkey and her, her, her colt? Uh, did you agree to that? Had there been a pre-existing arrangement? Were you proud? Were you, uh, did you feel a bit uh, confused by it? I, I mean, there's so many questions that could be asked. Now, 
If the two disciples illustrate to us the importance of service, then I believe the owner of the donkey illustrates stewardship. And there's that phrase that just stands out in the Gospels. The Lord needs them. The Lord. Jesus usually would refer to himself as Jesus or the Son of Man. Here, very deliberately and intentionally, he says, the Lord needs them. And that's important when it comes to stewardship, because stewardship involves understanding that all that I am and all that I have belongs to the Lord. So when the Lord needs them, he has a right to what I am or what I have. We, we used to sing the old chorus, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I would add to that, and he owns the donkeys too. He wants to, if I can phrase it this way, borrow his own donkey. He's entrusted that donkey to a man. We don't know much about the man, but at the end of the day, everything in this world belongs to the Lord. You know, uh, we have a playground across our street, and it's not unusual to hear one word a lot from that playground as little boys and girls are playing, and that's the word mine. Uh, No boy or girl has ever needed to be taught that word. It seems to be very instinctive when it comes to possession. It's, It's mine. But in Jesus' kingdom... His lordship involves saying, it's yours. So let me ask, what is your donkey? Now, if you're my brother, you might have a couple of donkeys that you can give, but I think our possessions involve precious things like time. When Jesus demands some of that time, it's your money. It's your material possessions. I kind of look at Matthew 21 kind of like uber donkey. Uh, But you may be in a situation where somebody says to you, I need a ride. They need a ride to church. They need a ride to the small group. Uh, They need a ride to pick up groceries. What is your attitude when it comes to those things, those possessions the Lord has entrusted to you? I love the story of the Gauls. They were Celtic warriors who converted to Christianity. But when they were baptized, water immersion, they had an unusual way of uh, responding to baptism. As they were being plunged into the water, they would always keep one arm up. And uh, some traveling missionaries were going through, and they asked the question, why do these Celtic warriors keep one arm up when uh, they're being baptized? And the response was, well, that is the one uh, part of their being that they want to keep for themselves. They're holding back. Because when they go to war, they may use that arm in a very unchristian manner. The point I'm making here is, are you all in? I could say, are you all wet? But I think all in makes more sense. Um, Or is there a part of you that you're keeping dry, that you're holding back? You're saying, Lord, I'll give you this and this. You've got to write over that. But this is an area of my life I'm holding back. 
Today, the lesson is to be willing to respond when the Lord says, I need that. I need you. I need that possession. Hey, I've been asked by our church leadership if I could, no, not be a parking lot attendant. I've been asked if I could thank you for your generosity at this very difficult time. We've had a great response to giving over the last few weeks, and it's very appreciated. It reminds me of the Macedonian churches. You remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul applauds them. He says they gave in the midst of uh, severe trial. Poverty, uh, it was maybe a famine, could have even been a pandemic. But they gave, and, and they gave joyfully out of their poverty, and they gave generously. In fact, Paul says they begged to give. They were looking for any way possible to give to the work of the Lord. Um, many of you have been Macedonian believers. We commend you for that, and we appreciate your giving into the future. Let's move on to our third section. I've called this fickle followers, the fickle crowd, with their messianic expectations. So great were these expectations when they weren't filled, they experienced disappointment with Jesus. They cried out, Hosanna. That phrase literally means Save us now. Prepare ye the way for the Lord, the Son of David, the Messiah. This phrase was shouted with tone of praise, enthusiasm. The crowds were in a frenzy, but they were being fueled by these messianic expectations. They had an agenda, and that is that Jesus was going to be a political messiah who would overthrow the evil Roman Empire. In fact, much before the triumphal entry, uh, a crowd had tried by force to take Jesus to do that. So I'm sure as the crowds gathered during this entry, this grand entrance, There would have been some who had never actually met Jesus, but they had heard about him. They were excited. They were filled with these messianic expectations. And maybe one guy says to the other, hey, where is Jesus? Uh, Is he going to come in on a a big stallion? Uh, Is he going to be the guy coming in pulled uh, by horses uh, as he's riding in a chariot? Or, or are there going to be lots of swords and spears and ready for battle? Can you imagine when all of a sudden they realize that Jesus is the guy riding on a donkey? Hosanna uh, and that excitement triggers into Jesus going into Jerusalem. And the question surfacing now is who, the, who is this? And rather than the crowds going, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of David, this is the Lord of Lords, he is our King of Kings, we're told at the end of our text, they answered, this is Jesus, a prophet 
from Nazareth. Oh, they had missed out on the prophetic teaching of Zechariah 9 that tells us that Jesus would come in peace, uh, not war. But they were so filled with their agenda that, uh, in, in fact, when Jesus didn't come through at the very end of Holy Week, there would have been many in that crowd who went from crying out Hosanna to crucify him. Crucify him. So what are two or three lessons when it comes to the crowds and their expectations? And what do these lessons teach us about following Jesus? There are many people today who want to follow Jesus on their terms. It's a popular approach these days. And many people have expectations of who Jesus is and what he should be to them. So there's people going, hey, I'm willing to accept Jesus as a good teacher. Uh, He's a nice example, possible friend. If I'm in real distress, I might call out to him. But the notion that Jesus is Savior, not only that, he's the Savior of our sins. The notion that Jesus is Lord not just of a couple of aspects of life, but he is Lord of all of life. For some people, that is just too difficult to take in. But this applies to Christians, Christ followers as well. We need what has been called a two-pronged theology when it comes to the cross. Now, we love the focus on the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, we, we love what Jesus accomplished for us, what he did for us that only he could do for us. But there's more to the deal. It's a two-pronged theology. The other part of the equation is following Jesus. And Jesus said, if you're really going to follow me, you need to be willing to take up your cross daily and follow me. The way of the cross is the way of self-denial. It's the way of sacrifice. We even learn in 1 Peter it may involve suffering as well. The Christian life isn't always Jesus on a stallion. It's Jesus on a donkey that has lots of implications for the way we live as we strive to follow Jesus. My final point here, I go it on a bit of a limb because I realize it could be controversial, but when I think of COVID-19 and I think of that phrase, Hosanna, that means save us now, I think that conveys the way some of us pray. Lord, deliver us from this invisible enemy And do it now. Are you like me? Are you getting a bit tired of the virus and all the implications? Is there some dread and fear? Even points where you might go, God, our triune God, why are you allowing it? I've even had a couple of people express to me some of their disappointment with Jesus in the midst of this crisis. Uh, 
at times in life, we would like Jesus to come to the rescue on a stallion. And yet, we see at times Jesus on a donkey. He had to be on a donkey. It was part of his agenda that fit perfectly with God's will for him. There's sometimes we might be confused, we might not understand, but Jesus' terms and his agenda always are best. His timing is always perfect. Jesus is never too slow, and he's never too fast. His timing is perfect. And yes, the popular singer Drake, his song, God's Plan, is popular, but for believers, followers of Christ, we know the significance and importance of God's plan. This virus did not catch our Lord off guard. Jesus didn't go, oops, I didn't see this coming. And we have to place our full confidence and trust in Jesus, even if Jesus comes riding on a donkey. Imagine if... Jesus had come on a powerful stallion. I mean, forget a stallion. Forget an elegant carriage. Jesus could have called 10,000 angels. They could have carried him into Jerusalem. He could have destroyed the Roman Empire. He could set up an earthly kingdom, but not do a stitch about the greatest pandemic, the greatest problem of all. That is your sin. That is my sin. This transitions us to our final point, Jesus on a donkey. Who is this Jesus? Some people call him the Passover lamb. He came to do for us something that only he could do in offering himself a sacrifice for us. Just as a donkey bears the weight of people Jesus bore the weight of our sins. In Zechariah 9 and 9 that is referenced, it refers to Jesus coming in gentle, riding on a donkey. The actual Hebrew word carries with it more of the idea of humility and the one who is poor. Remember the phrase also in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9? He became poor so that we might become rich. There's a painting in Europe, and it's a painting of a crucified figure with a donkey's head. The painting is one of ridicule and slander, but it also demonstrates the scandal of the cross. Amazing law that thou, my king, should ride in a donkey and should die for me. In Philippians 2, Paul says he humbled himself. He humbled himself when he rode in on that donkey. But now we know that Jesus is exalted to the highest place where one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But before we rejoice in all the elements of his second coming, we need to appreciate the significance of that first coming. There is no joy in his second coming if Jesus didn't accomplish what he did with his first coming. 
As we prepare for Holy Week, I hope you'll remember Jesus riding on a donkey. Lessons about service and stewardship, discipleship, but above all, who is this Jesus? Who is this guy riding on a donkey? Who is this guy being coronated as he's sitting on the back of a donkey? He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my King. Is he your king? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? May the Lord bless you as you prepare for Holy Week. Amen.